This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Dining right here on Think Radio. Good morning, Carol. How are you doing? Malcolm, I'm great. And hearing that music, I always love to hear what Java's playing. It's about joy. I've got some today. How about you? Oh, I do have joy. Um, you know, there's a new t- there's a TV commercial that some insurance company runs that plays that great Bill Withers song. Um, uh, somebody. It, it's a great, it's going to be a great day or something like that. But uh, anyway, that's how I feel. Yeah, after this beautiful weekend, it, it's in beautiful morning. It's hard not to feel like that. And we have Thanksgiving coming up. We do. And we're going to talk a lot about Thanksgiving. But right before we launch into Thanksgiving, I wanted to just talk a little bit about uh, my television watching over the weekend. I, I was running around looking at different shows and I bumped into to what to me was a new show on uh, PBS. It was called uh, Kitchen Queens, New Orleans. Uh, Don't and, know it. Well, it's all female chefs from different cities. And the one I bumped into uh, was all about New Orleans chefs. And just as soon as I turned it on, our good friend uh, Melissa Martin, who we had on the show, uh, from the um, the Mosquito Scupper Supper Club, correcto changeo, and she was on there in her kitchen cooking her mother Maxine shrimp okra gumbo. And when she went through the technique, I was really amazed at the way that they smother the way that she and her family smother the okra and and herbs and set it aside before they make the gumbo. They don't cook the okra in. They literally reduce it down and smothering, which she said is what the word etouffee means, and then add it uh, later to the uh, to the combination. So that's Maxine's shrimp okra gumbo uh, by the by uh, Melissa Martin. And the other one find it in in her cookbook, the yes. Mosquito Club cookbook. Absolutely, and I'm looking at it right now. Uh, but also, uh, I was just thinking about the different shows. And I remember the one I love so much is Dishing with Julia. It's it's old Julia Child reruns with contemporary chefs watching it and talking about her and her technique. That's another great one. And then, of course, I bumped into, again, just, you know, jumping around, A Chef's Life, uh, where her mother is on the show and they're cooking Thanksgiving dinner. You're kidding no, so all of that happened uh, yesterday afternoon while I was cruising around. Uh, while you were t- not watching football. Right. And another thing that happened when I was watching CNN early this morning just to get caught up on the news, Allison Camerata was telling a story about her mother and COVID and Thanksgiving. And her mother asked her, Allison, to please do something different with the dressing. And she said she just couldn't imagine changing the dressing. And so her guest said, 
with an Allison. Why don't you cook the dressing that you like, that's your tradition, and then experiment f- with a little bit of it on the side for your mother. Thought that was good. Oh, well, I did some cooking this weekend myself. Um, I was very inspired by a recipe and a picture shared on our Cooking and Coping Facebook site. And Bob Yarbrough from Virginia first shared it. It is called Bourbon Peach Glazed Brisket. Mm. And then another uh, Cooking and Coper, uh, Rusty Burwell did it too, and I'd been thinking about it all week. So I called out to the floor butcher and got David Rains to cut a four-pound brisket and spent most of the day Saturday cooking it. It takes about five hours to braise in a low oven. It was really interesting flavors. Um, yeah, the liquid was made out of Guinness stout. Mm. And, you know, stout is technically a beer, but it's, very, very different, has a, a unique, dark, somewhat bitter taste, a cup of bourbon and and beef stock. And it cooked in that, you know, all, you know, for five hours. And then you take it out, uh, reduce the braising liquid, and then do a crisscross on top of the brisket where the fat is and pour this yeah, beautiful bourbon and peach preserve glaze. And I tell you, um, there was a happy man in my household Saturday night. I thought I heard the howling from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so much fun to see what other people are doing. You know, I'm, I'm not a very original cook, and it's just downright inspirational to go on that site and just see the wonderful things that are going on. Well, so thinking about uh, the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday and the uh, annual dinner or lunch, however you do it, uh, it may be time to start thinking about that ever-critical shopping list and equipment list. And, of course, um, everything is different now with COVID, uh, so we have to think a lot about online grocery shopping, and, and doing things ever so slightly different, smaller crowds. Uh, and there's probably fewer days that stores uh, will be packed. But we begin with the with the bird. So where are you on your bird? Well, I've decided since we are uh, following COVID guidelines, there are just going to be two of us. And I'm going to do a, a turkey breast. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. But... On our Thanksgiving countdown, that's a really good thing to remember that if you're going to do a fresh turkey breast, go ahead today and order it from your uh, grocery store or market. And just if you're getting a turkey, don't wait too late. Go ahead and get that frozen turkey. And we know that the, the first rule we keep talking about of Thanksgiving is to thaw your turkey in the refrigerator three days before Thanksgiving. Do not pull out a frozen turkey um, the morning of of Thanksgiving. But uh, I I wrote down a couple of notes for the Thanksgiving countdown for planning when you're planning your turkey. 
And you want about one and a half pounds per guest. So if you're having four guests, that would be six, a six pound, like a turkey breast, eight guests, 12 pounds. And if, if you're having 12 guests, which would be a lot during this COVID time, it would be an 18 pound turkey. Mm. And for dressing, plan on uh, three quarters of a cup per person plus copious leftovers because people love leftover dressing. And you know what? Speaking of leftovers, you had posted on our uh, website, uh, Cooking and Coping, for people to share their Thanksgiving stories. And uh, one listener, Liz, wrote in a beautiful little story that Java's going to read for us about what happened to their leftovers at their Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, I really appreciate Liz for um, dropping this story on us, you know, giving us a peek into side of her family. But it starts off back in the olden days when families got together and when folks could go to the movies, we had a hilarious Thanksgiving incident. Grandma offered to stay home to take care of the toddler while we went off to the movies. Her plan was to debone the turkey for all the good leftovers for the next day. While she was in the family room reading a book to the toddler, she noticed the Labrador was patiently waiting by the back door to be let out into the yard with the entire turkey carcass being carried (laughs) in its mouth. That bird dog had a soft mouth, but we didn't get any sandwiches on Black Friday. Oh, boy. There goes the there goes the leftovers. And I can bet that is not a one-off story in America. That probably has happened each Thanksgiving since uh, Labradors were allowed. <laughs> That's great. Hey, Java, we need to uh, come up with some theme music every time Carol uh, rolls out the Thanksgiving countdown. There needs to be like a, a little um, a drum roll or something, and we can count it down all through the season. Uh, here comes Carol's Thanksgiving countdown. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll find a little march or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I do want to remind people and remind especially the two of you this week to go ahead and clean out your refrigerator and freezer. That it's, is, that's I, it, the best. It is so key to making this whole thing work. Yeah, and another thing is to go ahead and you've got your your recipes, you've got your list, you know how many people you're going to have. Start pulling dishes and casserole dishes. And the way I like to do it is I just take some yellow post-it notes and write on every dish what's going to go in those dishes. Because you don't want to be scrambling around with things on the stove and wondering uh, you know what you're going to put it in um, so those those are two uh, countdown items well those are great um, and, and also and, shop yeah. this week for non-perishables you know Thanksgiving grocery and especially in times of COVID you do not want to spend a whole lot of time in the, in the store and you can go ahead and get your canned goods or things that are frozen this week um and, and, you know, you'll have to just go in at the last minute and get your fresh things next week. And if right. I could put a tip out, I know a lot of people like to use pineapples in different dishes. Uh, we went to um, the Kroger's uh, that we normally shop at, and they were out of the canned pineapples. So people are making a run mm. on them already. That's a hot tip from Java Chapman. 
Did you check the produce uh, area to see if they had a fresh one? Well, yeah, the fresh one, but, um, you know, we got three kids. <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a, here's, a, here's a tip. Get three dull knives and put the kids out on the porch and let them have at a fresh uh-huh. pineapple. Well, Java, now that you mentioned that, several people on the cooking and coping site mentioned that they put pineapple in their sweet potato casserole. And, hey, I didn't. I've never done that before. It sounds great. Yeah, that was a that, I noticed that as well. It was also another great story. And I don't have it in front of me, but I will sort of give the version that I remember was that one family uh, wrote in that uh, as their mother who was the traditional cook in their house, be, got older, uh, things began to change in the dressing recipe. Mom would forget this ingredient or that ingredient or maybe overcook it or maybe undercook it. And and being loving and tolerant, the children, the family never said a word. It, if it was totally different than the year before, they just smiled and told mom that they loved her and that the dressing was great. Until one year, when they were sitting at the table dishing up the dressing, uh, someone noticed uh, a rather peculiar object in it, and they reached and pulled it out, and it was an entire dish rag that, <laughs> that had been cooked into the dressing, and that's where they drew the line. Uh, from that year on, someone else made the dressing. And I remember her comment that no telling where that dish rag had been <laughs> or, or the last time it had been washed. Well, here's one that I I love from Ashley Cole, and it says, My grandmother or housekeeper always made the dressing for holiday meals. When neither of them were able to do this any longer, my mother stepped up to the task. My older brothers declared that, quote, school dressing was better than this stuff she made. So the next year, and for many, many years after, my mother called Murrah High School and brought raw dressing from them. She would take her Pyrex dish up to the cafeteria at Murrah, and they would fill it up for 50 cents. (laughs) Problem solved. (laughs) Okay, it's time for our first break today, and we return. Uh, We'll talk about your perfect Thanksgiving plate. The question is, white meat or dark meat, dressing or stuffing, homemade cranberry sauce, or is your cranberry sauce straight out of the can? If you want to join the conversation, we'd love to have you give us a call. one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or send us an email to food at org. Carol, Java, and I will be right back after this short break. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing the leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. We're jiving and carrying on here uh, in uh, on the air. Carol, Java, it's Thanksgiving, and it's very close, and we are talking all about the goodies that begin the long holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and uh, we'd love to hear from our listeners. But before we do that, I uh, I saw a list of 
top tips for not overeating during the holidays. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you're planning to overeat, then you can ignore this brief set, set segment of the show. And here they are. Eat healthy most of the time. Eat what you love. Don't overthink the holidays. Mind your portions. Enjoy the goodies, but be sensible. Limit liquid calories. Drinks have hidden calories. Keep up your exercise routine and don't ditch the workout. And finally, drop the guilt. Enjoy yourself and the festivities. Happy holidays, you guys. Well, Hey, we got a caller here. We got Tim uh, calling in from somewhere in the great state of Louisiana. Hello, Tim. How are you, sir? Good morning, y'all. Um, I got two suggestions. With that pineapple, when you drop off the top, plant it. You know, you can get another pineapple in a year. It'll grow. Uh, it'll grow in a pot on the porch. I guarantee it. That's beautiful. Thank and you. And that that would solve Java's problems. Yes, and, and so, another thing with that, you know. I, I, it's you got a, a couple days left yet, so you can make pineapple ginger beer using a turbo yeast, you know, that you can get from Amazon, and, it, you know, you have a nice drink for the holidays, you know. There you go. Two good tips to do a fresh pineapple. One is to decapitate it before you cut <laughs> it up, eat it, and plant it in a pot, and you'll have pineapples for the rest of your life. Uh, and as Justin Wilson would say, Tim guarantees that. And then the other tip uh, is to cut the top off and make ginger beer. Now, I've never made that, but it sounds uh, sounds delightful. I mean, pineapple beer. Oh, Malcolm, one thing I've noticed on the stories, we had 62 stories sent in on cooking and coping, is that cranberries and cranberry sauce are very personal, and people are extremely passionate about their cranberry sauce. And I as got, they as they should be, but um, I got this note from Kristen Williams, and I love seeing her post. She always makes beautiful dinners for a guy named David Carey in Jackson. And she said, for a few years when I was a teenager, my mother decided to make fancy cranberry sauce you know, with real whole cranberries that actually looks like food. <laughs> she said, eventually someone, who was Kristen, got up the nerve to confess that they really prefer the canned stuff that you have to fish out with a butter knife and it plops on a dish with can-shaped ridges intact and you just slice it up. Everyone nodded in agreement, and uh, after her post, there were several people that commented that unless your cranberry sauce had ridges from the can, it was no good. And Java's just shaking his head in agreement. Yeah. And another uh, another guy wrote in and said that he preferred the cranberry uh, sauce in the can, so his spouse got the can uh, cranberry sauce but it wasn't ocean spray. So he mm. sent <laughs> sent her back to the store to get his particular cranberry sauce. Had to be ocean spray. Wow. Hmm. I, I don't have a preference of canned um, cranberry. How about you, Java? 
Um, ocean spray is at the top of that list, but I am of the um, the ilk that it has to has those has to have those ridges in it. It's just some I don't mm. know. It's just a tradition. That's all. I mean, you know, you can call it call it what you want, but it's cranberry sauce, and we and we love it. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Now, Carol, if you could uh, paint the perfect picture of your Thanksgiving plate, what would be on that perfect Thanksgiving plate? Well, Malcolm, for me, it would be turkey, of course, with dark meat, oyster mm-hmm. dressing, sweet potato casserole from Cotton Country Collection Cookbook, spinach madeleine. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have to have that um, on Thanksgiving, and a squash casserole. Wow, that sounds really good to me. I'll take a plate of that. I want all of the above. You know, we were talking about the sweet potatoes and the sweet potato pies and the sweet potato casseroles also on cooking and coping. You you, you did another post that got an awful lot of response. How many responses did you get on that one, Carol? 67. And 67. Yes, and people are very passionate about sweet potatoes as well. Well, what I was thinking about, uh, was that my friend Danny Summers, who uh, used to own the Cafe Savannah uh, on Oak Street in uptown New Orleans, he had come up with this recipe that I really liked. And when we opened Hal and Mal's, my brother Hal used to make it. And it was a sweet potato pie with a pecan mm. topping. So you had that salty, roasted, nutty pecans on the top, and then the sweet potato pie and the crust. Uh, to hold it all together. And and I miss that. Uh, I haven't had any of that in a long while. That sounds pretty amazing. Uh, you know, to start off the post, uh, I published the recipe from Cotton Country Collection uh, in memory of our friend Brooks Hammaker that we talked about last weekend, last week who died a few weeks ago. But I have been making that recipe for years and years and years as have many other people on the planet, as I learned from cooking and coping. And we had no idea that it was his grandmother's recipe till a few months ago when, when he posted that. Right. And he talked about uh, being in Ireland and seeing the cookbook on a shelf in a bookstore and, um, you know, showing off his grandmother's recipe. But I'm giving that recipe to Java today to post and it's a, it has a brown sugar pecan topping. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people prefer a marshmallow. Some people prefer none. And uh, me, I like the brown sugar and chopped pecans. Lots of people add bourbon to their basic sweet potato casserole dish. And I heard from Jenny P. Hernandez, who is in Madrid, Spain, and she said that's the one she'll be making but she adds a couple of tablespoons of bourbon to it. And then there was the whole debate that you spurred uh, when you made this post about marshmallows, no marshmallows on top of uh, the sweet potato casserole. And then it went deeper. The rabbit hole expanded and there was a discussion about the big fat marshmallows or the tiny little mini marshmallows. Yes. Quite a controversy, Malcolm. This is serious business. Um, so what do you think? Do you 
of the marshmallows. Uh, well, I just roasted. If some I were to have have marshmallows, it would be of the mini marshmallow variety. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm going to stick with my brown sugar and pecan. But that reminds me, one of the stories actually was about you, and I don't think you picked up on this because the mention of your name came in a comment. But someone named Raynell Hunter talked about going to Jitney 14 grocery store in Jackson and the last bag of sugar was on the shelf and that she had ended up splitting the bag of sugar after talking with the other person who was eyeing the sugar and they both agreed that they just needed enough for sweet potatoes. (laughs) And she said that person was you. Do you remember that? Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, you know, sometime in the spirit of the holidays, you have to figure out a compromise, much like the past election that we just had. Well, that that was a great story. Now, Java, do you have a preference on marshmallows or do you use them? Uh, no, I don't have a preference on marshmallows, um, but it does have to be inside the, oh, you know, on the sweet potato casserole. Um, other than that, it's like some other type of dish. You know, you have to have those marshmallows. I got you. Well, having roasted marshmallows over an open fire with my granddaughter last week, I, I had a taste for that roasted, crunchy uh, brown on the exterior. I'd sort of forgotten about it. I hadn't roasted a marshmallow in a long time or even used them for cooking. So in, when we got through messing with the marshmallows, I put a few back and I thought, I'm going to make something and put these marshmallows on top of it and brown them nice. And I wonder what's inside a marshmallow. Carol, do you know the recipe? I don't know if if we really want to know. But I can tell you that you can buy homemade marshmallows at Nandy's Candies. Oh. And that makes a very high-level s'more. Uh, Mm. I've actually served uh, s'mores for fine dinner parties before with, you know, not your basic Hershey's chocolate, but another chocolate and the homemade, handmade marshmallows. But there is nothing better to me than a regular s'more with graham crackers, Hershey's chocolate, a big fat marshmallow that's toasted. Um, mm. And we do it. I, we keep those ingredients on hand during the winter to do. You just get a coat hanger, a marshmallow, and you need the fire or the fireplace. Yeah, you got a fire pit out in the yard. I guess that's a great time to uh, break out the uh, s'mores unit and and begin roasting. You know, we're talking we're going to talk about sides. We always like to talk about sides, but I just thought I would lead by saying one of my favorite back to the perfect plate. Uh, one of my favorite sides is what my wife Kara calls Armenian green beans and really it's just fresh green beans uh cleaned and snapped um and, and, and cooked with tomatoes, chopped tomatoes, uh, and, and, you know, garlic, salt, pepper. Uh, but, but I love that sort of crunchy al dente green bean with this, uh, with the tomatoes all and onions and the garlic all mixed in with it. Well, I'm surprised we haven't gotten a phone call since we have left off one of the all time great Southern side dishes, which is the famous green bean casserole with the little yeah. fried onions on top. Well, is that the one that also has the uh, cream of mushroom soup in it? Yes, 
Yes, it is. And okay. uh, this time of year, you can see the stores uh, stocking up on the little uh, little onions, the little crispy onions. The little cocktail onions? No, 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 no. These are little oh, oh, the fried crispy, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crispy onion rings. Right. It's hard to find any other time of year but at Thanksgiving. Yeah, now, I was just about to say that, Carol. You can't find those yeah. unless it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> unless it's November, you can't find them. But that tells you how that recipe is in the public conscience. I mean, people think you really can't have Thanksgiving without green bean casserole. And I, I know my partner, John, thinks that. Well, when do you think those uh, onion rings were fried before they were put in the can? Malcolm, I don't even want to guess about that because it could be kind of creepy. Do you think they were even fried? Yes, they're little, little fried and a little crunchy, and it's in a you know airtight container. Mm. But they have a very unique texture and flavor. Well, I saw on Google, everybody knows Google, uh, according to Google in their trends, it says that the favorite sides by a number of states were as follows. In Mississippi, they say the favorite side is a casserole. I guess speaking, <laughs> speaking of the green bean, canned mushroom soup, and canned fried onion uh, casserole. In Tennessee, what do you think it is, Carol? I bet it is, I bet it's corn pudding. Yeah, cream corn, which, you know, I love a good corn pudding or corn souffle or, uh, you know, cream corn. Of course, cream corn, I think you can only make in the summer when the corn first comes in because you have to scrape the milk out of it. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. But I saw that same list. And Malcolm, I feel it was a bogus list. They probably had an intern at the magazine and said, <laughs> come up, you know, come up with the states. And what tipped me off to that was the fact that they put cornbread dressing for Louisiana. I saw that. You talk about fake news. Well, see, yeah. this this is what I say about that about that list. Um, it was for Google searches of the sides. Oh. So I took oh. I interpreted it as this is what the people were searching for. So like even with the one in Cali about that talked about California where mac and cheese, my favorite, was the <laughs> uh was the was the top side. I would say that they're searching for mac and cheese recipes or you know something like that oh i see hmm. so that's a search um search survey yeah because i don't know about the cream corn for tennessee that's maybe they're just searching how to do it in the winter <laughs> yeah i don't know i guess what you have to do is put up some uh fresh corn some silver queen or some white corn in the summer with milk in it freeze it and then pull it back out for winter time cream or yes unless they are using uh cream corn in the can malcolm oh oh of course i forgot about that i I haven't used cream corn in a can in a while and so uh now we know i don't think java's from california but we do know that california are are the people who most search mac and cheese the ooey gooey goodness of mac and cheese uh java do you want to Talk pontificate a little bit about mac and cheese. Well, I mean, the mac and cheese has to be uh, put in the oven for those who don't under, <laughs> for those who don't understand. So you can have that crispy crunch, and that cheese has to just be all throughout. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's it's almost kind of a 
macaroni and well, my favorite, like a macaroni and cheese bake. Because I know some yeah. people, they do the wet macaroni, which is fine, too. But that for Thanksgiving, it has to have that kind of that crispy top and, uh, and you know, just be, like, cheesy throughout. Mm. Now, you know something, a, a trend that I don't particularly care for is all this stuff that people put in mac and cheese, like lobster. and. No, nah, that's, that's, that's too yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's up a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're going to eat. You know, macaroni and cheese product. Why would you put lobster in there? I, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I do know this. It's time for us to take uh, our next break. And when we return, we want to hear from folks who are listeners to Deep South Dining. For example, what are your Thanksgiving plans? How different will things be at your dinner table in the 2020 Thanksgiving? Also, we'll take a look at some smaller dishes uh, that will work for Thanksgiving for like groups of two or less, like Carol was talking about, just her and John. So all of that coming up, so stay tuned. If you want to join the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. All you have to do is pick up your phone and dial one 7464 or if you are so inclined, shoot us an email at food to food at mpbonline.org Carol, Java and I will be right back after the short break This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org And thanks Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Carol Puckett here, Malcolm White also, Java Chapman. We're all here to talk about Thanksgiving, talk about the culture of Southern flavor. Before we dive into the cooking for two or less or frying turkeys or other topics that we promise, we've got a couple of callers here. we got Richard on the phone, and I didn't quite catch where you're coming from, Richard, but thanks for calling and thanks for listening. All right. I'm Southwest Mississippi. Uh, all right. Uh no, it was, it was something a couple of weeks ago. Y'all were talking about something that went in, uh, might have been longer than a couple, but went in, went in y'all's dressing. I think Miss Carol was telling everything, and I thought of something that my folks have been using for a hundred years in the dressing that I've eaten all my life. And uh, uh, I was wondering if she ever used uh, poultry seasoning in her dressing. Um, I have not, Richard, but I think that's a great idea. I I did, you know, uh, use some sage, but I think poultry seasoning has other ingredients in it and along with the sage, and that's a good tip. Yeah, so you use it, yeah. Go ahead. use it in your dressing, uh, Richard? Or, yes. Or on, yes. Your, or on your turkey, just in the dressing? Just in the dressing. And I, well, you know, I've, I've seen it and I've used it, but I, I don't know what's in it. I'm thinking, Carol, are you trying to figure out what's in? Uh, yeah, I am. It has uh, sage, rosemary, black pepper, and marjoram. Uh-huh. So that really rounds it out. Uh, I bet that marjoram. I can't wait to try that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a great tip. You can even make it. You can make your own, but the, it, it's packaged in the grocery store. Yeah. 
you is. I've, uh, and that's the, not the only thing I put in my dressing, but that's just one one of the ingredients uh, that goes in there that uh, I would, you know, it's it's wrote down, so I will not forget it. Uh, it's just a it's just a habit. But uh, I just do you put I'd any this... uh, any meat in your dressing, like chicken livers or uh, or chicken? Chicken liver, chicken gizzards, uh, chopped up. Uh, uh, chicken, uh, you know, like breast, uh, if I have some turkey, whatever, and chop that, and that goes in there. Uh, three, that goes into like just a three cone, three pound cornbread dressing, and, uh, put in the ice box for three days to dry out. Then it takes me about, a, you know, I'm by myself now, and I don't make it as much, but, uh, it takes me about a week by the time I chop everything <laughs> up. And by the time it's time to eat it, I don't really want to eat. Uh, <laughs> but, well, uh, you know, it sounds like it's a commitment, and you've been doing it for a long time. Well, like I said, it's a. Uh, it was my grandma's uh, recipe, and that's it's, it's probably close to a hundred years old or better. And uh, and, and I, Richard, I, I, yes. Yeah, where are you you said Southwest Mississippi. What where are you? What town? What village? What community are you in? I'm in the woods, really. I don't live in any town. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Well, I live in between, uh, let's see, Gloucester is north of me, about 15 miles, and uh, about 20 miles central to the north northwest. So uh, that's probably the closest uh, you know, town I'll go into wow. more than anything. What county are you in? Uh, Wilkeson County. Wilkerson, yeah, interesting. Well, you're way out in the woods there. <clears throat> yes, in the, in the pine woods. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening to our show, Richard, and thanks a lot for <clears throat> for calling and sharing your grandmother's um, and your family's uh, cornbread dressing that you you've, you've turned us on to using the poultry seasoning, which Carol has helped us to understand. Mm-hmm. Now we got on the call, we got uh, Bobby is calling in from the sister, our cousin state of Louisiana. Hey, okay, Bobby. I was listening to you about the, the uh, milk in the corn. Yes, if indeed. you were and put a few, car, a few ears of corn in the freezer, don't cook it or anything. Just put it in the freezer, in the shuck, and then when you get ready to use it, take it out of the freezer, put it in the microwave for about a minute, then you can go down and cream your corn. So the cream holds up <clears throat> with the freezing and over time. Right. This wow. is a great tip. I have I have frozen corn before, and it, it comes out kind of mushy when I get it out, but freeze it. In the uh, it in the shuck. Do not take it out. No, leave it in the shuck. I'll be thinking of you next summer when I do that. Okay, okay, and then you can use it at any time you want. You can take it out of the freezer during the during any time during the month, or any time during any time you want to, and uh, just put it up. Put a few ears up in the in the microwave for about a minute, and. because that's all it needs to cook a corn anyway. Right. Well, Bobby, we appreciate you calling and sharing that fantastic tip about freezing corn uh, in the shuck 
uh, and getting it out and using it during the cold winter months. That's a, a wonderful tip. Thanks for listening to our show. Thanks for calling in. We very much appreciate it. Uh, guys, we so had Carol, a caller um, go before we go. We had a caller who couldn't stay on the line, but she wanted to share her favorite um, thing to have on Thanksgiving. And uh, Carol, Carolyn from Past Christiane said tomato aspic salad is on her favorite Thanksgiving plate. Oh, right. I bet there's a lot of tomato aspic on Thanksgiving tables. Yeah, it's it's a um, kind of an, a, an annual showing. You don't see much tomato aspic anymore. We used to see it a lot at uh, dinner parties and growing up in Mississippi. And, but... and ladies' luncheon clubs. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking of. But, you know, I always had this idea, and I've never tried it, <clears throat> is to make tomato aspic and put whole... Uh, uh, peeled and deveined cooked boiled shrimp inside the aspic where you could see them and then as you started eating the aspic these shrimp would be it would, it would almost be like a um, uh, a shrimp a creole yeah it's like it would be like finding the baby in a king <laughs> cake <laughs> alright we also have, we have another caller Edgar uh, is calling uh, from right here in Jackson Mississippi what's going on doctor Hi there, young fella. How are you? Man, I'm good. It's great to hear your voice. And how you doing, Carol? Edgar, I'm doing great. Much better since I'm hearing from you. Oh, bless you, my child. Well, look, I just real quickly, you know, we lived up in New England for almost 40 years, and which is cranberry country, and we learned something about something called cranberry relish, okay? And Inez learned to make a fantastic cranberry relish for Thanksgiving, so... Carol, if you will look on page 85 of the Tougaloo College cookbook that I sent you, the Eagles Queen Favorites, you'll see Inez's recipe for cranberry relish. Well, Edgar, I will guarantee you that I will not only look at it, but I will make it. And I just want to remind you of your promise that the when the next edition of the Tougaloo cookbook comes out, that we can talk about it on the air. I certainly will. You you'll get it. And when we when Inez makes that relish, people fight for it at the table. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's really that good. I just want to let well, you guys know. <laughs> I hope I can. I hope I can do her justice. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. You guys take care now. Okay. Right, Thanks, Edgar. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you um, calling and sharing that amazing. Uh, a recipe. Well, we don't have the recipe yet, but we know it's coming. For, yeah, we do. It's on. It. I'll I'll share it. I'll you gonna put it, it on. I'll, I'll send it. I'll put it on the website. Give it to Java. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm, one of your Boonville natives, Tim Pierce from Memphis, is one of our most active people on cooking and coping. And uh, he, he sent me some tips when we were talking about dressing. And I was talking about that my first time with cornbread dressing a few weeks ago was not exactly what I wanted, and a lot of people have written in or called in to try to help me, but Tim wanted us to know that between dressing and stuffing, that his opinion is that stuffing is feathers or polyfill, and it is appropriate for vests, comforters, pillows, and plush toys, (laughs) and dressing is appropriate for the Thanksgiving table. Anyway, he published uh, his mother's chicken and chicken and dressing recipe and I bought a whole chicken uh, and I'm going to try it I'm still kind of practicing 
and working around with with dressings, but I really appreciate him doing that. And this one has a whole lot of cornbread. It's a 12-inch skillet full of cornbread. Mm. Um, so I'll let y'all know how it goes, but I'm going to make this on Wednesday. Well, you know, when Richard was describing uh, his grandmother's recipe for dressing, it sounded like chicken and dressing to me because he, he put all kind of uh, chicken pieces and parts and meat uh, inside the dressing, and it sounded really great. Uh, so I had a question when we were talking uh, with um, Dr. Smith, who called in. He was talking about this cranberry relish. So what do you think the difference is between a cranberry relish and a cranberry chutney? A cranberry relish, to me, is when you actually grind or chop the cranberries. It's it's more chunky, and uh, it usually has some, like, orange peel in it some kind of chopped pecans. And I'll tell you where there is an excellent cranberry relish at Fresh Market in Jackson. They do oh, a, a you know, lovely, one. yeah, in the deli section. All right, with our remaining time, Carol, let's talk a little bit about this cooking for two or less. Um, I know that this is something that you're preparing to do and that you're uh, very familiar with. Well, you know, <laughs> You do, you have to you have to plan you know plan ahead and I've gotten pretty good at having recipes some recipes you can look at and know that you've just got to make the whole thing and freeze another uh, freeze the other half but you know a lot you can do in half and the other thing is this year there are so many people who are at home by themselves because of COVID that, you know, my plan is to cook just the regular portions um, of what I usually make and, and do some, uh, you know, do some porch calling because, um, you know, people love Thanksgiving leftovers and I know that somebody will be happy with my oyster dressing and the new cornbread dressing I'm going to make and the cotton country sweet potato casserole. Mm-hmm. Well, so anything left over, you can certainly send my way for absolute well, sure. Well, I certainly will. So y'all are going to be out at, at Edwards um, f- for your Thanksgiving, is that right? Yes, yes, we are. We're going, going to be out there, and I hope it's a beautiful day and hope we can eat outside. Uh, that's one of the things that the Center for Disease Control um, and uh, Dr. Fauci and others are recommending. If you can, stay outside. Uh, mm. And, you know, Thanksgiving many times is one of the most beautiful days of the year in Mississippi. Absolutely. Much like today, you know, hovering in the mid-60s with the sun out, uh, wake up at, and, and it's 40. And then, you know, by the time it's time to eat, it's it's close to mid-60s. So we need to uh, share a few safety tips about frying a turkey. I was watching football yesterday and there were a lot of Arby's commercials on there. And, uh, you know, they're the ones that we have the meats. Um, and <laughs> they were talking about uh, they were talking about deep fried turkey sandwiches. So it's incredible to me how what used to be kind of a folk folky kind of cooking, frying, deep frying a turkey has now become mainstream. And even Arby's uh, is promoting it on national television. OK, Malcolm, never, ever put a frozen turkey in the fryer. Whew. 
man, I've seen that before. That's not, that's, that's ugly. That's, that's ugly. And you do not want to ever fry a turkey inside or mm -hmm. e even on a wooden deck. You need to be out on the yard, on the driveway, uh, get, get some concrete between you and that fryer. Okay. Do not turn your back on hot oil. Mm. That's a that's a good tip for all cooking, I would think, but especially a big old frying unit. Um, you know, and be careful with your oil after you cook your turkey. Let it be completely cooled before you dispose it or storing it. And you know, be careful where you put the oil. If you know, try to put it in a container. Uh, don't pour it in the ground. You know, don't pour it in the bottom of a garbage bag. Uh, you know, the best thing, in my opinion, is to strain the oil. I think all too often we use oil one time, and you can uh, get a sieve and a funnel and strain the oil back into you know the bottle, label it on there that it, that it's uh, you know used oil, and use it again. Yeah, well, restaurants, of course, you know, use the oil over and over, but they clean it. They they constantly filter it and clean it. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's kind of a pity to fry one turkey in a whole bunch of oil and then throw the oil away. There's nothing wrong with that oil. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so. Yeah. I, I put cheesecloth on on my strainer, and yeah, just to get out. I fry a lot of oysters and shrimp and catfish, as you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just to filter out those particles. Carol, one caveat to the um, the do not um, fry your turkey um, inside uh, or on a wooden deck. Inside your garage is still inside, even if you got the uh, <laughs> if you have the the gate the 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 door open. That it's not automatically outside. So just step out a few more feet because that it will get inside of there just like it will get inside your home or something. Okay, Java, I'm wondering. Does that hot tip come from experience? No, no, it doesn't come from experience. But one of my favorite, I guess, holiday traditions around this time is to watch uh, like all the fire departments and those videos where they <laughs> deliberately <laughs> drop frozen turkeys from 50 feet in the air into the pot. And, you know, you see the flames. It's just good fun. Good YouTubing. All right. Well, that wraps up the show today. We thank you for tuning in and listening, and happy Thanksgiving is on its way. Deep South Dining uh, is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like you. Our show is produced by the one and only Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, I'm Malcolm White. Now stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Please join us next Monday at 9 o'clock in the a.m. for Deep South Dining, only on MPB Think Radio.